it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. we got a lot to talk about today as we talk about life and abortion and the issues that are facing our country on this issue. So as we, as we do that, just a reminder, you can listen to this show live at Joy 620, or you can tell Alexa to play it, or you can listen to Podbeam, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we're going to jump right into it. We're going to look at some, some things that are happening around our country. The March for Life was just this past week in D.C. Over 100,000 people came together to march to show their support for life and uh, and to show that they are against abortion. Of course, we have some Supreme Court news where the Supreme Court decided again not to take up the, the case out of Texas. So the Texas law that we talked about uh, in months past uh, is still in effect in Texas. And uh, we're going to look ahead at, at what uh, that may mean for uh, the Dobbs case and things moving forward at the Supreme Court level. I want to start with a, a piece over at National Review by Ryan T. Anderson and Alexandra uh, DeSanctis. And, and the reason I want to start there is because they're going to be writing a book, and they are both uh, adamantly pro-life. They do a great job of reporting on the issue of abortion. And this piece just kind of opens up into that. They wrote this back uh, last week on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And, uh, and so that's the context of what I'm about to read. It says, Today our nation honors Martin Luther King Jr., who in his most famous address proclaimed, When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory, a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The same remains true today as pro-life Americans labor to vindicate that, that note for all people, born and unborn. After 50 years of sanctioning nearly unlimited abortion, the Supreme Court is poised to overturn its decisions in Roe v. Wade, 1973, which invented a constitutional right to abortion. And that's right, it invented it because it was nowhere to be found in the Constitution. In reality, there is nothing in our Constitution that protects the right to choose lethal violence against the child in the womb. If the court does the right thing in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, Americans will finally be able to protect not only unborn children, but also pregnant mothers from the harms of abortion. The pro-life movement has been preparing for this opportunity for decades, but pro-lifers shouldn't underestimate the challenge it presents. It is imperative to continue explaining the fundamental injustice of abortion, that it ends the lives of innocent human beings in the womb. The case against abortion must start there, but it should go further than that. In the new book written by the authors of this article, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing, they argue that abortion has harmed every element of our society. Set to be published in, on June 28th, coinciding with the court's anticipated ruling in Dobbs and available for, for pre-order now, the book aims to equip readers for the next chapter in the fight for life. When the court does finally overturn Roe, it will not end our nation's abortions debate. It will merely allow a full, legitimate one to begin. And pro-lifers will have plenty of work to do. Since 1973, abortion has inflicted untold suffering on all of us. It has killed 65 million unborn children. It has pitted men against women and parents against their children. And it has undermined a sound vision of what it means to be human. As they explain in the book, the implicit assumption of pro-abortion activists is that the female body is somehow a defective version of the male body. 
which they take as the norm, and that women can be free and equal only and only if they are permitted to kill their unborn children. Rather than structuring our laws and forming our culture to foster solidarity and support for women, the pro-abortion movement treats the child as an intruder or a parasite and a threat that needs to be neutralized. Emphasizing autonomy and choice, abortion supporters rarely acknowledge that many women feel pressured into abortion, experiencing it not as empowerment but as defeat. And many who call themselves pro-choice oppose efforts to help pregnant mothers choose life, revealing themselves to be much more pro-abortion than pro-choice. Abortion has always corrupted many of our cherished values and institutions. As we document in the book, the eugenics movement of the early 20th century gave rise to the modern pro-abortion movement, an effort to avoid populations that we don't want to too many of. In the words of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that was what she said. It's an effort to avoid populations that we don't want to have too many of. That concern anyone? So as we celebrate on this Martin Luther King Day, remember they wrote this article last week, all of our progress in the struggle for racial justice, we must also acknowledge the sad reality that the womb is a dangerous place for a black baby today. More black children are aborted each year in New York City than are born. Did you hear that? More black children are aborted each year in New York City than are born. In many parts of the world, things are a little better for baby girls. We cite research showing that there are 23 million missing girls around the world today killed because of sex discrimination in the womb. Meanwhile, our book chronicles headlines praising the support supposed eradication of Down syndrome as if doctors had pioneered a cure for the genetic condition when in reality it has become customary in the Western world to use abortion to eradicate people with Down syndrome. These forms of lethal discrimination perpetrate a culture in which some human beings are deemed unworthy of life. At the same time, abortion has affected our medical system, turning the tools of healing into weapons and treating pregnancy as a disease to be cured. We document how major medical organizations have persistently lied about the reality of abortion, transforming themselves into partisan activist groups. We also note how women often don't receive the medical care and counseling they deserve and sometimes suffer from long-term physical and psychological consequences after abortion. No book on abortion could fail to highlight how Roe in the past 50 years of court-imposed abortion on demand have undermined the rule of law and constitutional self-government. The desire to preserve Roe and unlimited abortion has turned judicial nominations into a political football and transformed the confirmation process into a toxic mess. Because of how abortion has polarized our politics and corrupted Democratic politicians, many citizens have become alienated from one of our major political parties independent on the other, even if they disagree with Republicans' own policy issues. It has led two generations of Democratic politicians absurdly and in a way directly contrary to the vision of Dr. King to deny that their moral and religious, religious beliefs should influence their political and legal ones, leading to the embarrassing rhetoric of being personally opposed to abortion, but politically for choice. This was the sort of doublespeak that Dr. King railed against in his letter from the Birmingham jail in which he explained how religion and morality must play a central role in our political life. He said this, A law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. 
And as we explain in our book, our nation's abortion laws are profoundly unjust. Abortion has harmed much of our culture, too, whether or not we notice it. In this book, they they are going to cover the bias of legacy media outlets, which obscure the truth about abortion and often promote falsehoods. They document social media censorship that has limited the ability of pro-lifers to share accurate resources about abortion. They chronicle the growing effort to glamorize abortion on TV and in movies, as well as the corporate culture that increasingly embraces and promotes abortion. Responding to the scourge of abortion will require both legal and cultural measures, efforts both to prohibit lethal violence in the womb and to assist mothers and families in need. None of us are better off in political community that allows or endorses lethal violence against the most vulnerable members of the human family. Ending the destructive regime of abortion will require making this comprehensive case against the killing of the unborn. Recognizing that both political and cultural change will be necessary to make abortion not only illegal, the first step, but also unthinkable. We need laws that protect the unborn child and policies that affirm the importance of strong marriages and families. And we need to foster a culture within which no pregnant mother sees the life inside of her as an obstacle and no woman is left to walk the path of motherhood alone. Now, I wanted to read you all of that because I think it's important that you are familiar with what is happening. Not just what is happening now, but what has happened since 1973 and the damage that has been done to our culture, the damage that has been done to our society, the damage that has been done to our world. You see, when we celebrate abortion, when we celebrate lethal violence against the most vulnerable in our communities and in our culture, we are acting as if we are God. You see, these laws don't help anyone. Now, now the pro-abortion folks will say, well, that's not true. It allows a woman to graduate college. It allows a woman to become CEO. It allows a woman to uh, be competitive against her male counterparts. Yet, yeah, no, it doesn't. You may think that that's what it does. But, but in this, this twisted feminism mindset that we have come to recognize, you see, Susan B. Anthony was a, a feminist, but a feminist that was staunchly pro-life. Now, why is that? Because they understood that when you talk about abortion... You're eradicating our communities, our societies. You're eradicating males. You're eradicating females. You're eradicating those that have special needs. You're eradicating blacks and whites and everything in between. For what? For empowerment? I've talked to a lot of people that that have gone through an abortion, men and women, old and young. And you know what word they never share with me? They never share with me empowerment. They never say, you know, that that decision that I made and that abortion that I received empowered me. No, they don't share that with me. Because it's a lie. You know what they do share with me? As they have tears in their eyes and as their lip is trembling. They say, it's one of the worst decisions I ever made in my life. You see, but those folks aren't getting on the Sunday morning news shows. You won't see MSNBC or CNN or 
any of the major cable outlets interviewing those people to talk about the hurt that came with having that abortion. And why won't we interview them? We won't interview them because they hurt the narrative. But they make up the vast majority of those that, that have received abortions. Those people that are dealing with the, the guilt and the shame and, and they're seeking healing, those are the ones that make up the vast majority of the abortion experiences. The ones that are shouting their abortion on Twitter and social media, they're a minority. And, and the shouting that they're doing, it, they're only doing that to hide their true feeling. We shouldn't mock them. We should pray for them. My heart breaks for them. You know, the President of the United States, he was one of the ones that, that coined the phrase and, and one of the ones that picked up the phrase, personally, I'm pro-life, but politically, I'm for choice. That's a cop-out. You know, Pontius Pilate, in essence, said, look, personally, I'm for not crucifying Jesus. I don't think he's done anything. But politically... The people won't, or the people will get what the people want, and they want to crucify him, so I'm going to wash my hands of this and, and move along. You see, when, when you're personally for or against something, and especially if you're going to say that, that you are that way because of your convictions and because of your belief in God, which is what President Biden said for the bulk of his career, yet when he felt like he could win president this past time. He, he come out in favor of abortion all the way up to nine months. While hundreds of thousands of people are marching in D.C., he puts out a tweet saying, women's right to choose is being attacked and we must do something about that. You see, when you do that, you're no longer personally pro-life. You're pro-abortion. But it's because you believe the lie that this empowers women. It doesn't empower women. You see, see feminism... Of today, feminism of today says that abortion empowers women, but they also say that men who think they're women can, can compete against women. So how are we exactly empowering women now? By crushing their records? By encouraging them to have abortions? Is that how we empower women? By aborting women? Is that how we empower women now? I have three daughters, and I will never tell them that that's empowerment. We'll be back. As we continue the conversation, I do want to look at uh, what's happening with the Texas case in, in the Supreme Court. Uh, but before I do, I, I want to mention that I know that the first segment was a, was a long piece that, that I went through, but it's important that we understand the ramifications of some of these court decisions. And we can mask it as women's empowerment. We can mask it as, as the right to choose. We can mask it as, as all these things. But the reality is... It's harming society. It's hurting women. It's harming the most vulnerable. And, and, and we're supposed to be the most pro progressive, freest country on the planet. And the freest country on the planet that, that literally says in our founding documents that you have the right to life liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. Like our founding documents tell us that we have a right to life. Nowhere in there does it say anything about the ending of the life of a baby in the womb. So the freest planet or the freest country on the planet and we go out of our way to argue for the right to end the life of a baby in the womb. I've been listening to a book lately. It's called The Last Cowboys. And it's about a uh, a group of of cowboys and rodeoers out in Utah. The, their last name is Wright. Stetson Wright and Ryder Wright. Oh, I mean, it's, they have great cowboy names. So they have a big ranch. They also are uh, some of the best rodeoers out there, bronc riders, bull riders. You can probably think, what's this got to do with anything? But in one segment of the book, they talk about how they, while they're ranching, they, in, in out west, there's tons of land that uh, that the government owns and operates. And so what you do out there is is you don't necessarily in some of those ranches you don't own the land, but you pay for a permit to run cattle and do things on the land that is owned by the government. And so you're talking about ranches that are 20,000 acres and they're letting their their cows roam and they're doing their ranching uh, on those acres uh, that they're getting a permit for by the government. Now, some of that has has hit a snag in certain parts out west because of in the desert area there was a a tortoise that they wanted to protect and so because of this particular tortoise they wanted to protect in the desert they they stripped permits away from some farmers and ranchers now we're not going to get into the weeds of whether that was right or wrong and and who has the right to that land or, or whatever. My point is, our government was willing to go to court and war with ranchers to protect a tortoise. Yet our government is allowing for humans, American citizens, to end the life of the baby in their womb. How does that make any kind of sense? We will go to war and find and do all kinds of things to those that, uh, that are seeking to harm a tortoise in the desert that, that many people may not even be aware of. Then our same government will go out of our way to allow for the ending of a life of a baby in the womb. So we'll protect a tortoise in the desert, but we won't protect a baby, an American citizen, in the womb. Explain that to me. If we had aliens drop in on our country today, and we looked at them and said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to move mountains to protect this tortoise in the desert. You know in New Jersey, you, you're not going to be able to slaughter uh, a pregnant cow because we don't want to harm the baby inside of her. You know, if, if, if you are pregnant and you're hit by a drunk driver, you're going to be charged with two murders because you, you killed the mom and the baby growing inside of her. Do you know that if you're pregnant and you want to go ride a roller coaster, you're not going to be able to because we want to protect the baby inside of the mom. So you're telling this all to the alien that just dropped in on America. 
And then you're going to say, look, if a baby is growing inside of the womb and they need a surgery performed, we're going to provide them anesthesia because we know that they feel pain and we want to protect them. There are certain medic- medications that we're not going to give mom because we know that medication could harm baby. So we're not going to give her medication that may harm baby because we want to protect that baby. But you know, if that same mom wants to go to an abortion clinic and end the life of her baby, we're going to allow it. Anyone else find that crazy? I have a feeling if an outsider came in, alien or otherwise, and we told them all of that, and here's our laws, they're going to be going, man, these, these, people, these people really want to protect their country. They really want to protect their citizens. And then we, after telling them all those things that we're trying to protect, then we say, but we have laws in the books that allow for abortion up to nine months of humans. That's where we are, folks. That's the damage that has been done. Not just physical damage, but emotional, psychological damage. That we're telling generations there are some lives that have more value than others. Even if you go back a few weeks ago, and I talked about the prenatal testing that they they have determined is 90% wrong. So women have had abortions based on prenatal testing that was wrong. Think about the psychological damage that is done. Yet we just keep on telling our society to shout your abortion. Celebrate it. While our society is broken. And our people are broken and depressed. And medicated. Because they don't know what else to do. But we've been told abortion is empowering. Yeah, it's not. There's a piece over at CNN. I wanted to to look at it because the headline is what the fallout from Supreme Court's Texas abortion ruling means for the future of Roe. So, again, I've said this multiple times. If you want to see what the chances are of Roe being overturned or or kind of read the tea leaves, don't just listen to pro-lifers. Look and see what those that are pro-choice, pro-abortion are saying. What do they think is going to happen in the coming weeks and months? And this piece talks a bit about that. As the Roe v. Wade ruling celebrates its 49th anniversary, the vast majority of abortions have been outlawed for nearly five months in the second most populous state in the country. The way the Supreme Court has handled Texas's ban on abortion after six weeks of pregnancy signaled that its Roe precedent, a landmark abortion rights decision, does not stand to be fully intact by its 50th anniversary. Of course, they're pointing to the court case out of Mississippi. The fallout from the Texas legal fight has also provided a preview of what abortion access will look like across the country if Roe is dismantled. Abortion right activists warn that current reality in the Lone Star State may soon be the state of play in several other states if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade in a case from Mississippi that the justices are expected to decide this summer. Abortion foes cheer the sense they got from the Texas litigation about what the Supreme Court is likely to do in the Mississippi case, which presents a frontal challenge to Roe. In the meantime, Texas has found a way to end access to abortions well before fetal viability, even as court precedent protecting abortion rights up to that point remains for now on the books. Now listen to what they're saying there. Texas has found a way to end access to abortions well before fetal viability. Now, 
You read that and you think, oh, well, maybe this author would be okay with restricting abortion after fetal viability. But they, they're not, see, they're not. This is a game they play with you. This is a game they play with their words and with their narrative. Of, Well, that bill goes after abortion even before fetal viability. So if, if I was to then say, okay, well, how about we ban abortion after we've determined the fetus is viable? They would say, oh, no, it's a right we can't restrict in any way. You see, they want you to compromise, but they never will. Never. Only 30% of Americans are supportive of reversing Roe v. Wade. Now, again, this is playing with numbers and data. What they're not mentioning here is the vast majority of Americans are for restricting abortion at some level. But see, they're not going to talk about that in the article because they want to paint it as if all the country is for abortion. But even 30% of Americans supportive of reversing Roe v. Wade, that's a big number. That's a big number. Abortion rights activists who have been on the front line of the fight say that even they have been surprised by how quickly the legal tide has shifted against them. How quickly it has shifted. Roe v. Wade's been in place since 1973, and pro-lifers have fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and fought to see that it would be overturned. And, and, and pro-choicers are saying, Man, it's really shifted quickly. <laughs> they said this, when it affects this many people, we're used to getting some kind of relief from the judicial system. Uh, that's what Amy Miller, the president and CEO of the clinic organization Whole Women's Health, which operates four clinics in Texas. She said that it was shocking that we may have to look to other branches of government to restore the human rights for pregnant people in this country. And, and listen, listen to what we're, we're saying here, too. They would call me anti-science because I'm pro-life and, and because I'm conservative and because I'm a Christian, so I'm clearly anti-science. Listen to this quote. We may have to look to other branches of government to restore the human rights for pregnant people in this country. Human rights for pregnant people, but I'm anti-science. She didn't say pregnant women. Now, why didn't she say pregnant women? Because, remember, we've shifted language in our society. Now men can be pregnant, women can be pregnant, people that don't identify as man or woman can be pregnant. But I'm anti-science? And then they want to talk about human rights? What about the human that's growing inside the womb? A more conservative Supreme Court that is treating abortion differently. That's where we are right now. When the Supreme Court reviewed Texas's six-week abortion ban last year, it was not examining whether to reconsider court precedents that protect access to abortion before the fetus is viable, a point about 23 weeks in pregnancy. That has moved and shifted. It's sooner now. So we'll continue this article when we come back. But the point of the matter is they're upset because the court is, is going against them. And they believe that precedent... Trumps everything. But that's nonsense. We'll be back. So as this article continues, it, it, you know, we're, we're looking at the case out of Texas that the Supreme Court's not taking up. Uh, they're actually looking at a case out of Mississippi 
But what many are doing are, are reading the tea leaves. And so, okay, they, we're going to hear the decision out of the case out of Mississippi uh, this June. And so let's see what they're doing with some of these other cases to kind of get a sense of how they may rule on the case out of Mississippi that, that may, in fact, overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about, oh, the precedent and stare decisis and all these things. The, look, precedent is important. And I've talked about this. You can go back and listen to past shows. I've talked about the, the reason why precedent is important when it comes to court cases. If we didn't have precedent, if we didn't have stare decisis, if we didn't have super precedent, then, then the courts would just be overrun with the same case over and over and over again. So what they try to do is on some of these big cases, hey, this is going to, be, this is going to set precedent. But what the court needs to be able to do and what we have done when it comes to uh, civil rights, when it comes to slavery, when it comes to a number of different things, what we have done is the court has deemed, hey, that decision years ago was a bad one. It was unconstitutional. It was egregious. And so if, if, if the court sees that some decision that was made years ago that did, did in fact set precedent but was wrong-headed and unconstitutional, then you better believe we need a court that is going to be willing to step in and say, that was bad law, we're going to correct that. That's why our country is a sh- uh, shining light on the hill. That's why our country stands out amongst all other countries on the planet. We've been one of the few countries to, to, to right the wrongs of the past. We've been one of the few countries to look in the mirror and say, hey, we got this one wrong. We're going to correct it now. And we've done that with issue after issue after issue. The next issue that we will do that on, in my opinion, is abortion and Roe v. Wade. So the CNN article continues, says, still, the justice's approach provided clues that the court, which shifted significantly to the right after Trump put three very conservative justices on the bench, was going to be treating abortion differently than it had in the past. Now, listen to how they phrased that. We have had presidents, Republican and Democrat, put partisan judges on the court. That has happened forever. I mean, you think about Sotomayora, you think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you think about some of these justices that are staunchly left-wing, adamantly in favor of abortion, and they don't hide it. But you see, they're not, they're not saying that, oh, well, the presidents that put them in power were doing some kind of political maneuver. No, they're saying that, no, that those are just normal justices that, that just understand the law better than you do. But when it comes to conservatives appointing justices, what do they say? Trump put three very conservative justices on the bench. That's what they say. I mean, it's nonsense. They want to paint it as if there's some kind of outright agenda. Now, I would be fine with the justice during their confirmation hearing flat out saying, Roe v. Wade is bad law, it's unconstitutional, and if it ever comes in front of me, you better believe I'm going to vote to overturn it. But they're not going to do that because they have to take case by case by case by case. But yet they're upset because they're not getting their way anymore. It says typically abortion clinics have been able to obtain preliminary orders that block restrictive abortion laws even before they go into effect. 
But when clinics sought such relief in the Texas case, the Supreme Court's conservatives declined to give it to them, citing the Texas law's unique design. Texas is enforcing its six-week ban, known as Senate Bill 8, by letting private citizens sue in-state court abortion clinics or anyone else who facilitates an abortion after fetal cardiac activity is detected. Notice the wording there. In years past, all the way up to this point, we would say heartbeat. We would, we would say heartbeat. Anyone else who facilitates an abortion after a heartbeat is detected. But see, they know the tides are changing, so they can't say heartbeat anymore. Yet I'm the anti-science one. Now they're saying fetal cardiac activity. Well, what is that? What is fetal cardiac activity? It's a heart. If you go to a cardiologist, what are they looking at? Your heart. If I pass out right here and they have to call an ambulance, what are they going to do when they first get here? Check my pulse. Why? To see if I have a heartbeat. Why? Because a heartbeat determines if I'm alive or not. It's pretty important. But they want to call it fetal cardiac activity. You see, they've even changed their language, folks. And they're, they're just expecting you to just go along with it. It's no longer pregnant women, it's pregnant people. It's fetal cardiac activity. Let's not humanize this baby. Let's not humanize the fetus that's growing in the womb, even though all of us grew in a womb. Just look around you. You know what humanizes the fetus? Everybody you see around you, that humanizes the fetus. Go walk in Target. You see onesies? You see diapers? Humanizing the fetus. Why? Because we know what it is. We know. Abortion opponents took it as a major sign of where the Supreme Court was headed in Roe that the justices rejected the request by clinics that it takes extraordinary actions to block the Texas law. To finally say we're not creating new exceptions that are not in the law for abortion was huge, says uh, Roger Severino, a conservative lawyer who served in a top role in the Trump administration's Department of Health and Human Services. Regardless of what the justices do in the Dobbs case, the validation of how Texas model its ban is going to shape the legislation anti-abortion activists seek to pass in other states. Yeah, it is. This is not an episodic victory. This is really important for the movement, said Texas Right to Life legislator, direct, Legislative Director John Sago, who said that lawmakers in half a dozen states are considering passing their own versions of Senate Bill 8. It shows that it works, that the industry is concerned about lawsuits, private lawsuits, even though they're difficult to bring, and that's going to be needed in the future, even if the state has criminal, criminal penalties on the procedure on the books. For abortion rights activists, the decision in the Texas case made it all too clear how drastically the Supreme Court has changed since the 2016 decision when Justices Anthony Kennedy and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were still on the court. That gave clinics a resounding win against another Texas abortion law that took a much narrower approach to a scaling back access. They could care less about the health and safety outcomes of women and families, said Amy Miller, the president and CEO of the clinic organization Women's, Whole Women's Health, which brought challenges both to Senate Bill 8 and the Texas anti-abortion law struck down in 2016. Now listen to her words. She said they could care less about the health and safety outcomes of women and families. It's not true. Pro-lifers could say that abortion proponents could care less about the safety and well-being and outcomes of babies in the womb. Right? 
is semantics. With the exception of Justice Sotomayor's dissent, Miller said of the recent six-week ban ruling, it wasn't even brought up that people's human rights are at stake here. Listen to what they're saying when they're talking about abortion. Listen to what, how they talk about humans. They want to talk about human rights? 70 million humans have been discarded since Roe v. Wade, and you want to talk about human rights? The legal fight over the Texas's law hasn't ended, and clinics say they're going to press their case even as the Supreme Court several uh, handicap their ability to do so. They're still committed to providing abortions before the six-week mark, but women past that point are being forced to either carry their unwanted pregnancy to term, travel out of state where the surge of Texas patients is causing longer waits for anyone seeking an abortion, or try to end their pregnancies on their own, which isn't happening at the level that they say it's happening. The same amount of people need access to safe abortion as they did before Senate Bill 8, Miller said. Senate Bill 8 just blocks highly trained medical professionals like us from being able to provide that care. Highly trained medical professionals. You know what, you know what they, they did and what they're trying to do and continue to do is have the ability to ship abortion pills to people's mailboxes. They're not seeing trained medical professionals. They're getting a pill in their mailbox and they're taking it in their bathroom. Is that empowerment? Is that about safety? Is that about caring for women's and, and human rights? Or is it about pushing an agenda of abortion and, and lining their pockets? I'll let you answer that. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, hopefully the information provided um, was helpful and fruitful and will uh, answer some questions you may have about things that are happening around our country and uh, around our society when it comes to the issue of life and abortion. Look, my goal here uh, every week is to just inform. Now, yes, there are times where I get amped and um, loud, uh, but the reality is I just want us to be aware of what's happening. When we read an article, I want us to be aware of how they change language, you know, whether it be heartbeat or fetal cardiac activity or, or pregnant people, not pregnant women. You know, these are all slight changes that they make, and then the articles just start sounding this way. So now fetal cardiac activity is just normal in most of those articles. So they've just changed the language because that doesn't humanize like saying a heartbeat. But it's the same thing. And so we need, to, we need to be aware and catch those things as we're reading articles and as we're having conversations and, and those type things. Look, look the, the goal is that life would be celebrated. The goal is that, that more folks would choose life and choose abortion less and eventually get to a place where abortion is unthinkable. That's the goal. I understand we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. We live in a broken world. And so we're going to have these struggles. Look, even if Roe is overturned, Abortion doesn't go away. You're going to have places like California that becomes a sanctuary for abortion. You have places like New York and Virginia and, and others. Now, now, what we're seeing in Virginia is a change. We're seeing a shift there with politics shift and the thought on abortion shifts. So it's all going to play out. We'll have to see how that goes. But at some point, we have to have a conversation as a nation about what that looks like. 
How do we protect people? What is human rights? Does it include the unborn? And it should. If you fly here from another country, and you're not a citizen of this country, even if you come in this country illegally, but your baby is born here, they're a citizen of this country. So we, we recognize that life. When we evacuated some folks from Afghanistan, the baby, babies were born on the plane as it was heading over here. It's considered a U.S. citizen. Look, some of our laws don't make sense. They contradict each other. That's why we have to be steady. We have to be consistent when we have these conversations. Because if we're steady and consistent when we're having these conversations and and bringing up some of this nonsense to show folks, hey, look at the contradiction here, people are going to start to open their eyes and go, hold on, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that is a contradiction. We'll move heaven and earth to protect the tortoise out in the desert, out west, but allow for abortion all the way up to nine months. That makes sense to anybody? It's an upside-down world. Now, as gospel people, we believe that we serve a Jesus that is about turning things right side up. So let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of the mission to turn things right side up. And we do that by celebrating life. We do that by celebrating the gospel. We do that by pointing people to the creator of life. And so, yeah, that means we're going to have some tough conversations. That means we need to uh, call on our legislators. That means we need to call on our leaders to stand up for life because it matters. And it's worth the effort. And so that's what we're trying to do at Hope Resource Center. That's what we hope you're doing. Uh, Pray about what's happening in our society and in our country. Pray for life. Pray for those women that, that are going through struggles facing unplanned pregnancies. Uh, We're grateful to serve in this city. We're grateful to do the work that we get to do, and we're grateful to partner with you. We'll talk to you next week.